Hello and welcome to another episode of Video Game Logic. Today's episode was recorded on June the 20th, 2023. I'm your host, gaming psychologist, and with me, as always, uh, third wheeling me, I guess? Uh, well, it is pepperoni roll day, so caffeine rage. <laughs> on today's show, we will, of course, discuss some games that we've played. A study finds 47% of gamers play on multiple platforms. The FTC temporarily blocks Microsoft Activision's Blizzard buyout. EA Sports and EA Games are splitting apart in an internal shakeup. And we'll probably have a discovery queue tonight. Time sips will be in their show notes following their respective topics. Hello, Rage. Hello. This one might be a record. We've been talking and recording for an hour before we actually started. I had many stories to tell, which will show up as the next Franken episode. You had some some stuff in there too. It's not like you just sat quietly the whole time, but no, I also interrupted you, like, <laughs> like I just did. See, true, you did do that, but we had story time. Ooh. Several several things. Um, how how are you this week? How how do you feel? Uh, caffeinated. I'm about three quarters of the way through my iced coffee. Nice. Nice and ice. Oh, not anymore because it's kind of melted, but it's nice and cool. And uh, I mean, I think I've pretty much uh, finally nailed down the uh, ratio, so there is that. Yeah. It it doesn't feel like it's slowly eating away the glass like it did the first time I made it. No, that's my usual drip coffee. Well, I am not caffeinated. I am drinking something... Uh, called Fruit Punch Drink Enhancer that I put in my water um, because my water is not cold and I wanted it to have a little extra flavor. It's just like one of those little flavor like squirt thingies. Yeah, Um, I I don't mind those. Uh, I know some of them have a very gnarly aftertaste. Well, you know, just the shelf-stable artificial sweeteners. Uh, I guess I'm a little sensitive to them. Yeah. I get them every once in a while at Walmart. Just to mix it up a little. I do have uh, uh, some of the little sachets of, like, uh, black cherry uh, limeade. Yeah. Uh, that's um, put up, that's made by True Lemon, that's, uh, I found that's really good. Sachet, such an interesting... Good word. I like that and, word. And, and uh, a loan word, I believe, from French. It always feels a little weird to hear foreign language and then suddenly hear an English loan word that's like, hey, I know that word. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, it's a good word. I like the word sachet. Um, are you uh, are you ready, though, to kind of dive in? I see you have one game. Yeah. I have two. Do you want to alternate? Uh- Do you want to go first? I could go first because I don't think it's going to be very long. Okay. Unless you want me to go, like break up yours. Oh, Your I don't care. I don't care. Okay, so go ahead. On my completely legit and not hacked at all 3ds, of course, I've uh, decided to start uh, playing through the Pokemon series, and I decided to start on Gen two mostly because <laughs> it's the one that doesn't have. A 
Uh, it's remake that they did later on. Are you okay? Yep. Yep. Okay. I said make it to the mute button. Uh, it's uh, remake is also pretty old, so it's uh, it doesn't have a really modern interpretation of uh, this jo- of this uh, generation of uh, game. So I thought I'll start here. I'll probably go back and do. Uh, Generation 1 and the Let's Go games eventually, which yeah. uh, Adida has. So I decided to play Pokemon Crystal, which is essentially the definitive version. Uh, th- uh, Pokemon is such a weird beast when it comes to how they do their games. So, uh, of course, you know about the split games, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, also at least for some of the uh, generations, they have a third version that's sort of like the definitive edition that goes in, uh, cleans up some things, adds uh, possibly some new features, uh, and like takes the best parts of the Pokedex from both versions and combines it into one game, but it still does not have all you know, the Pokemon of that generation, because of course it doesn't, right? No, of course not. And Pokemon Crystal was like the... Well, it wasn't even the first time they did this, because Pokemon Yellow kind of is that uh, generation's one, where it's more in line with the anime to kind of capitalize on what's going on there. Pokemon Crystal is kind of the same idea, only an enhanced story. Uh, The big things are uh, you get to choose your gender when you start out. There's like added animations. They cleaned up the storyline, they added some new stuff, and it is really, really, really rough to go back to. There's just so many problems playing this game. Yeah. And it's not all... This game is old, and, you know, games have gotten uh, easier and better now. There are some fundamental flaws with how they uh, set this game up. That makes me wonder just how the hell it, uh, Pokemon lasted to Generation 3. <laughs> so the big thing to me is the level curve. So I, I really all <laughs> RPGs have essentially the level curve. You, fight, you start off fighting rats or bats or whatever, and you slowly progress to harder and harder uh, things. Building up experience along the way. Until you fight God. Yeah, yeah, practically. Uh, But Arceus isn't in this one. So, the level curve in this game does some weird shit because of how they did the map. Essentially, uh, most Pokemon games have, like, a set, like, goalpost that you're heading towards the entire time. And once you get there, you get a story event or some sort of uh, thing that tells you, okay, now go over here, and it progresses you around... To uh, slowly build up your team and be, uh, get more, to, uh, get more of the Pokebands, uh, get fight uh, t- for things, uh, kick uh, Team Rocket's ass again, uh, so on, so on, and you're slowly building up and getting harder and harder fights. This game, once you get to level thirty, uh, the game essentially has a like a loop on the map where you have a choice of a couple places to go for the main story, and this is. Not just Pokemon Crystal, it's also in Gold and Silver, where the, it, it kind of divulges from this uh, formula and allows you to go do different things, and as well as having a side story, it, a couple other things that you can do. But because of this, 
they had to make the level curve hit a plateau around level 30 to 40. Okay. And it makes it so that once you get past that area and you're going to the Elite Four, suddenly everything jumps up 15 levels. At least. With the champion going up almost 20 levels from what you were fighting. And there's no real good spot to level up because every wild encounter is around that level 30 to 35-ish range. And if you start finding things that are too low below your level, you're getting absolute dog shit for experience. So that's really my big beef with this game is that it's just so grindy that I may have hacked in some experience candies to be able to actually beat the game, you know, without spending 30 hours just grinding, because you're right. Right. Not that you could blame me there, right? No, I don't blame you on that one. I mean, number one, you know, single-player game. Number two, mm-hmm. why not? Why not make it fun uh, for uh, yourself? Uh, no, actually, I didn't get a why not, now that I think about it. <laughs> oh, wait, that's a Gen 3 Pokemon, never mind. Touche. Uh, and there, there's actually a Pokemon called Why Not. Ah, I did not know that, but I'm not surprised. Uh, but... Oh, and also, okay, so Generation 2 is also... It, it was originally going to be, like, the yeah, the capstone on the Pokemon franchise before... Yeah, uh, essentially, the anime saved the Pokemon uh, franchise, from everything I understand. That things went absolutely batshit while they were developing this game. So it went from, like, you know, you know the swung song of this uh, series to, oh, crap, this is actually going to survive more than a game, maybe two. Yeah. And because of that, they started adding shit. So this game has a real-time clock with a, actually a lot of stuff tied to it. Like, you can only get... Uh, there's a daylight cycle, which is... Uh, popped up from time to time, but they've also have it where, like, certain Pokemon only show up on the this day of the week uh, at this time, and if you miss it, you have to wait until next week, because if you change your clock, the game actually picks up that the clock has changed. Uh, and actually, in the original version, it had a... You set the clock one time in the save file, and you just have a toggle if it's daylight savings time or not, and that's it. I mean, hardcore, right? Yeah, I don't remember that. And this is one of the Pokemon I have played. And uh, the Virtual Console, the one I played, it will actually pick up that you changed the uh, date and uh, mess up events for a day or two because it wouldn't, it won't fire them off. Because right, so it, it, yeah, it, 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 it's kind of hardcore, huh? I mean, you could get around it or just yeah, all right. But they're not really required outside of just filling out the Pokedex. But so many of the Pokemon in this game are just frustratingly bad as well. Like getting uh, a grass type that learns no grass moves till level 30 some. I feel weird. Yeah. There's just so many design uh, choices in this game that makes me wonder what the hell is going on. Uh, multiple Pokemon just not having really attacking moves or having moves that benefit their type. And also, this was uh, back when certain types also use certain stats. So every fire move, for example, uh, is considered a special attack 
no matter what the what it actually says. So, like Fire Punch is a special attack. So if your Pokemon has a crappy uh, uh, special attack but great physical attack, doesn't matter. It still uses the physical physical attacks or the special attack stat. And it's just all right. Yeah. I mean, they did fix that in later generations, but not in this one. Oh, 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 oh. I, I was about to say, well, the the level curve also extends to the post-game stuff. So, uh, this game kind of blew people's mind back in the day, because it also essentially included the previous game's uh, area, and, and basically advanced the, the time uh, forward like three years. So, like, people moved around, uh, and some uh, gym leaders changed their uh, teams, that sort of thing. But it was the original area. Yeah. But, okay, you beat the champion, they have level 50 Pokemon. You go to Kanto, the original region, everything's level 15. And the gym leaders you're fighting, up until, like, the 8th gym, are all severely under-level compared to what you had to have. And it's not even over-leveling, it's just... Yeah, everything just drops back down again. It, it just falls off a cliff. I, I, Which, I guess I kind of get that, I think. If the I idea mean, is I, it's like you're going back to the original area, uh-huh. maybe, like, you know, a chance to reset your team. I don't know who, how many people would actually do that. They would just mm-hmm. curb stomp them. But I could kind of see the reasoning behind it. But it also makes it difficult to be able to catch anything. Because if you're not completely swapping out things, and the way that you're handling all your Pokemon is just utterly frustrating. It requires you to completely save the game every time you change the box that you're putting Pokemon in and taking them out of. Yeah. So I eventually just got to a point where I got frustrated repeatedly saving uh, to swap things around. So I built a team that had, you know, my uh, HM bitch in it because you know this was the still the generation where you had uh, you know uh, Pokemon that had to basically uh, sit there and do moves on the overworld, right? Yeah, uh, and uh, get a balanced team for the rest of it and just start curb stomping because it was just too frustrating to try to <laughs> sort things out. Otherwise, I mean, we've really come a long way on. Uh, uh, game accessibility and honestly just gameplay in general yeah and, and kind of going back to you know these games from 2001 uh, at least for the North American released but uh, yeah 2001 uh, it was released in uh, December of uh, 2000 for Japan but it kind of just shows you just how far we came huh yeah I believe also, this was the last how, and also how frustrating it can be yeah I believe this was the last Pokemon game I played until we played, um, oh, Sun. Suns, whatever Sun for, for Game Club. Which you weren't too hip on. No, it was fine, but yeah, I wasn't I like... Have to, I have to try another Pokemon game. Maybe try Gen 3 at some point. Especially if you could, uh, get a DS. Where you could just mess around with it instead of having to have it on emulator. I have a DS. Well, my I gave it to my kid, but I mean, I could still use it. Or also say a 3DS. Oh. Show, uh, show you how to hack. So, my is it my turn? Yeah. 
All I think right. I've rambled enough. So I've got two games. Um, I think both of them I'll be able to go through pretty quickly. So the first one I just want to mention to have as a comparison point. So it's Per Aspera. Uh, per Aspera is a game that released in, I believe, 20... Let me pull it up here. 2020, yes. And it's a Mars colony strategy simulator game um, with kind of its thing that makes it more, I guess, unique is that in the story mode, you're playing as an artificial intelligence who has been given this task. And throughout the course of the story, it's very heavily, not even implied, like de- like this is definitely going to come up at the end of the game or towards the end of the game, that you are developing your AI consciousness as you grow into an individual, a person, um, in sort of the more broad definition of person as opposed to the specific one that we think of as being human, you know? Um, it's set in the uh, middle distant future, like the late 22nd century. Um, and it, it, it's got some DLC. It's been out for a couple of years. It's got some DLC. It does have just a sandbox mode or not a sandbox mode, but just sort of a career mode where that you can just play and do the terraforming stuff. But, um, you know, number one story mode recommended for the, uh, I guess you could say the, the gimmick of the game, but also, um, in order to have the mechanics introduced to you individually, this is, What's the right way to say it? Probably the most free form one of these game types I've ever played. Um, you're dropped down on Mars in, in your starter colony when you quote unquote wake up and are given your mission briefing and you know in the story and told what to do and colonizing Mars and, and terraforming the planet and whatnot. And you have the entire planet that you can go through. It's not blocked off by regions or it's not blocked off by um you know it's not like well you do this map and then after you beat that one you do to the next one like no you're dropped on mars and you have the entirety of mars to play with and you do have to expand sort of gradually um you grow out your base the city colony um i'm still kind of learning the tools and the terminology. I'm only two ish hours in. Um, but you're given some basic buildings. You, uh, start harvesting resources and start going up the production chain. And as you do so, you just sprawl out, um, from the, the starter zone. And it, it looks like in, in the tech tree, there, there's a tech tree. You can research stuff. It looks like farther on, I'll be able to develop new independent cities elsewhere on the planet that aren't connected to my initial grid. But it just you just sort of sprawl out. And initially, it looks kind of weird, like this one small area. But as you grow your area and you look at the various like map screens, you know, I'm I, my, my colony area is covering a... F- like is spread out across several hundred square kilometers and there's just this sprawl and it draws roads down that your transportation drones use and you can see i can see maintenance drones flying around and 
it's so far it's it's very intuitive it definitely does not seem simple but it does seem intuitive it's teaching you the game pretty steadily as you go along and the game the, the story mode at least in the beginning is not pushing you to do something at a certain pace um for example the first thing you're supposed to do is stabilize your colony get some resources build sustainable infrastructure and then build the first settlement for humans and then ensure that you've got enough power for your settlement that you're producing enough food and water for your human colonists and all the while you're having conversations with the npcs that make up the story sort of the original researcher that developed you as an ai um, the lead scientist on the team that's going to be landing on Mars. And then these own internal dialogues where that you get to pick choices, make dialogue choices. Um, some of them are very clearly superficial um, and others are not. And so far it's typically two choices, although there have been a few situations where I've had three choices and your, um, your, your character is, is voiced. I do not know. There are a couple of names in here that I recognize, like Yang Ye does the voice of someone in here. Uh-oh. I haven't he hasn't shown up yet, so I don't know what his character is, but like Yang Ye is in the credits as a voice actor. Um you know I haven't watched this stuff in a while, actually. I'll, I haven't either. I grab it every so often if I need to like get brought up to speed on something because he very often pads out even update videos, but he's also good about having the like the story so far. Yeah. So I won't go for him for an update, but if I need to, you know, at the end of a story, find out something, he's a pretty good source. Yeah. But, um, your, the AI, her name is Amy. It's an acronym. I, I do not remember what it stands for, but, um, you know, Amy's voice will, will say something like, Oh, now that I'm here on Mars and I'm building these rovers, these AI rovers, um, are they a part of me or are they my children? And Uh-oh. you can cho- you can choose, like, are they a part of you as a whole or are they your children? And then she remarks based on that dialogue. And then later you'll have a conversation with the researcher. And so I, I picked that... Um, they were a part of of me, not that they were my children. Mm-hmm. And so she remarks to the researcher, like, "Yes, I'm." I forget exactly how what she said. But she's like, "I'm I'm now crawling all over Mars to find uh, the, this lost facility. Like, there's you know radio signal from an, a prior colonization attempt that failed, but it's not on the map, and you have to find it." And he goes, "Oh, you're you're crawling all over. What do you mean?" And she's like, oh, I, you know, these, um, you know, drones are a part of my body. And he's like, oh, that's interesting. You feel like you have a, have a body. Let's talk about that some. And they have, there's not a lot of, you, I mean, you know, there are still times when you get to make choices. But it's very clearly, like, I, I think it's very clearly going down this path of, like, you're going to spend the entire game developing the AI personality. And then when you get to the end... There's going to be something big that has like a, you know, it, ending consequences. And you get certain endings based on how you have um, played this AI character. Um, and you can, there, there's a couple of choices that have come up so far where that you get to talk about emotion. And like, are you experiencing emotion? Um, when the, the human colonists were on their way 
she goes, I feel something strange with this. What is it that I feel? And you could choose anxiety, excitement, or, um, uh, what was it? Contemplation, contemplative. And I I picked anxiety because I'm like, well, I'm just going to kind of like put myself in this situation. And I really (laughs) would feel anxious if I had the lives of, you know, a hundred people suddenly in my hands of like, well, you got to make sure they stay alive. You got to feed them. You got to give them water. So, like I said, I'm only a couple of hours in. So far, it all feels very intuitive. Um, there are some implications that it's going to eventually have some type of combat stuff to it, which I'm not sure how I feel about, but we'll see how that is when we actually get there. I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but there's some talk about rival companies and a terrorist organization, and so I would imagine there's going to be some type of conflict within the, the story. But I'm trying really hard not to kind of spoil myself on it because... The AI story seems really interesting. So Peraspera, I am have positive feelings about it so far. I mostly just wanted to talk about it as like, here's where it's at, here's where I feel, let's see how this holds up over the course of, you know, a potentially 30 or 40 hour campaign. The other game I played this week was Starbound, given my conversation last week about Far World Pioneer, and I was like, yeah, it's like the weird love child of of uh, Starbound and RimWorld. Well, I kind of wanted to play Starbound, so mm-hmm. I did. Um, I played Starbound several years ago and talked about it on the show. Um, I have no idea what I said about it at the time, but it's... You I know, think you're rather frustrated with it. It's space Terraria. I'm I'm enjoying it now, and when I played it before, I don't remember if it was still in early access or if it was like very fresh off of its release. They've added a lot of, well, they've I, I think it feels like it's got a higher quality of life. There, the menus make more sense. You can move them around. Um, you can interact with stuff directly from the menu as being re- instead of being required to put it in your hot bar, which are things which I think you used to have to do. Um. They have added more customization options. They have smoothed out the difficulty curve. Starbound has got a story that is signposted to you. Terraria has a story, but a lot of it is underneath, and you have to either look up a guide for how to do it or just really get invested in the game and and kind of find out what's going on. But Starbound, right from the very beginning, there's this like weird Eldritch Horror alien monster that attacks and destroys Earth. You're the last, you know, guardian of the Federation. You have to track down these artifacts so that you can defeat the, you know, big, bad, evil Cthulhu monster or whatever it is. And the the gameplay is very open, but there's, you know, you get taken to this, like, hub world in the beginning, and you're going to be going back there frequently, and, you know, that, that sort of stuff. Like, it signposts a story to you, but they have... One, smoothed that transition out a lot and smoothed the initial difficulty curve of the game out quite a bit. And I think have just made everything more accessible. It's it's a lot less frustrating and is a lot feels a lot more difficult to get lost, if that makes sense. Um the game provides you some better direction, whether if you do want to follow the story, here's a better way that you can do it. And I'm enjoying it so far. Um I realize that's kind of a lackluster, like, I am enjoying it, because I, I am enjoying it. I still find certain aspects of it frustrating. Um, combat is such a big focus of Starbound, and the early game 
even with some of the things that they've done to smooth it out, combat is very hit or miss. Um, you're extremely dependent on random drops that you find until you're able to consistently find and harvest materials to build things like advanced armor and guns and stuff. Um, so you're very dependent on like a very shitty like hunting bow that you can make and whatever random melee weapons you're lucky enough to find. Um, it's fine. I, I, I'm hoping to be able to stick with it long enough to see some of the like ship and mech customizations that you get additional vehicles. They have added, um, before you could create sort of a colony, but there was no reason to, they've added ways for you to teleport, um, easily between bookmarked locations and um, have sort of signposted the colony as well so that you can buy like a deed to a colony um, and get instructions on how to build it so that colonists will show up and they can provide resources to you and amenities and and things such as that crew members you can recruit crew from your colony so it's i mean it's got a lot of promise it's space terraria basically with a larger emphasis on its story um it's not bad it's pretty solid if you really like it um i'm I'm hoping i can stick with it long enough to find out if i actually do really like it or not so yeah starbound it's it's fine it was on game pass at one point it's on sale on steam all the time um i uh i'm hoping there's also a huge modding community for this game that i'm likely to dive into if i stick with it long enough yeah i'm trying to be good and not add more stuff to stardew valley yeah so uh yeah that's it for the games that i played this week uh ready to do a couple of news topics i think so so our first news topic, a study finds 47% of gamers play on multiple platforms. I just thought this was neat. Um, you know, you pulled yeah, it up. This is a uh, study of 74,000 people across 36 markets. So a fairly decent-sized chunk. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like you said, 74,000 people across 36 different markets. Um, uh, it breaks it down by... a. F- some sort of three general categories, mobile gaming console and PC gamers. Um, Mobile unsurprisingly was the most popular platform. I mean, more people play games on their phones than probably all the other platforms combined. Yeah. Which, huh? uh, Yeah. Which I think is why mobile bullshit feels like we're not going to be able to fight it because it's just such a big thing now. Yeah. The so, mobile gaming market is ginormous, for yeah. better or for worse. Uh, it's but, uh, essentially the size of the PC and the console market combined, uh, according to this. Yeah. 79% of respondents uh, said that they play on mobile uh, at least partly, if not completely, with 35 saying mobile-only players, uh, and only 15 say all three. I'm not sure if I would be on the... Uh, uh, just uh, the PC and console, or if I'd be mobile as well, because I'm kind of in this weird situation where I don't really do a lot of mobile games anymore. Yeah. Before Honkai Star Rail, I would have said just two, mm-hmm. um, you know, PC and console. But I play that game once or twice a week now. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, I'm definitely playing on all three platforms. 
well, by their definition of platforms, I'm playing on all three. Yeah. You know, console-wise, you know, I'm playing Xbox um, with my kid, but, you know. Yeah, console-wise, console. I'm doing uh, Switch and 3DS. Um, I do occasionally for, uh, mobile games, but not nearly as much as I used to. And, of course, PC. But, yeah, it's kind of mind-blowing that mobile is essentially the size of console and PC combined. Well, and that's uh, that uh, several different factors, but a big mm-hmm. one that I've heard for years that also is borne out in this study is that women tend to play on mobile devices more than men do, um, mm-hmm. with women making up 50% of the mobile-only players, like more than 50% of that group, um, or right at 50% for that group. And I think women... Uh, tend to get ignored in gaming stats a lot like yeah gaming video gaming is still pretty largely thought of as like a male driven hobby and it's just not i mean yes there are certain subsets of it that are more male centric if not male exclusive but generally speaking gaming is as very much a multi-gender uh hobby because I anybody mean, can game as long as they've got, you know, working uh, enough working body parts. I mean, uh, well, I mean, hell, even with the accessibility controllers, you need a lot fewer body parts than you uh, used to. Right. Uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, really thinking about it, I mean, your uh, big AAA uh, platforms are, or big AAA games, I should say, it does feel very male fo- uh, focused. Uh, a lot of shooters, which, no, I'm not saying that women can't play shooters. I'm just saying that it tends to target the male demographic there with the marketing. Yeah. Uh, racing games, once again, very focused on guys. I mean, I'm just, uh, you know, Anita would be considered, I guess, mobile and uh, console because she does have her Pokemans and she does have a lot of, like, free-to-play, like, pick-cross games that have kind of gotten her on. Yeah. Yeah, I introduced her to pick-cross, and, uh, you know, it's like, ooh, it's Sudoku, but a picture, right? Yeah. So, I just thought that this was neat. Um, I love seeing data for stuff like this and, like, thinking about it um, and how things have changed over the years. So given an opportunity to talk about it, I was like, yeah, let's talk about this one. But outside yeah, of it just sure. being like some interesting facts and figures, I don't know what else there is to say. Although it sounded like you were about to say something. I apologize for cutting you off. Uh, no, it's I was looking at their previous uh, like uh, uh, polls that they also covered. And the most meaningful brands and uh, based on a t- uh, 2020 uh, poll by Gameloft. And, oh boy, I mean, mind you, this is three years old now. But, you know, Google's number one with 78% uh, most meaningful. Uh, Tesla, Mercedes-Benz, BMW, YouTube, PayPal, Amazon. So, yeah, I mean, some interesting things there as well. Yeah. Although, most meaningful for, you know, that that can be a lot of things. That, That feels like a very loaded statement. I just saw that and thought it was intriguing. Uh, I mean, 
I guess Microsoft at number nine would be like the top one for gaming unless you want to throw in something like YouTube or Google. Yeah. But uh, Nestle uh, being up there is intriguing with the, you know, some of the time turning against Nestle uh, on the internet, at least. That is interesting. I haven't thought about Nestle in forever, though. Mm-hmm. Like, there's not a a brand that I think about. Like, my kid's not even into any Nestle stuff. We don't buy Nestle products. Mm-hmm. I'm forced to on a couple things because our local grocery store, even their store brand stuff is essentially just a repackaged Nestle thing. Yeah, that might be the case. I might be having some stuff like that. But to my knowledge, we're not buying any Nestle products. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't think I have anything else to say. Do you? At least oh, not on this one. Oh, I just saw something interesting is 54% had spent time watching gaming content in some other form as well, which is intriguing that streaming, I guess, YouTube stuff is that unpopular with gamers. Although, once again, you get kind of in a interesting what uh, situation of what do they mean by, you know, uh, had uh, spent time watching gaming content. Yeah. Are we talking Let's Plays? Are we talking about people pl- uh, streaming on Twitch? Are we talking about, you know, game reviews? Yeah, because it would depend on how they asked that question and then on how they reported on it. I mean, we know like there's a whole aspect of of sociology and things that, you know, whenever you're doing these types mm-hmm. of surveys, like how you ask a question matters. So if they just, you know... For me, for example, if they said, like, do you watch, you know, gaming content? I would say yes. But if it was, do you watch gaming content on Twitch? Then I would say no. Or do you watch Let's Plays? Do you watch, uh, yeah, uh, game reviews? Do you uh, uh, watch uh, uh, history about a video game? All right. Yeah. Which I don't, I don't really watch Let's Plays. Mm -hmm. Um. Only if I'm trying to figure out how to do something and they have it labeled. But I do watch game reviews. I do watch a lot of gaming content about gaming history and, you know, my sort of analysis type stuff. Yeah, of course, there's summoning salt for me watching how obscure uh, category in a speed run uh, uh, has gotten uh, more optimized over the years. Half the time, don't even care about the game, but it's interesting nonetheless because... How much time these people put into it. Yeah. So, yeah. That is interesting. So, something else that's interesting is the FTC is temporarily blocking the Microsoft Activision Blizzard buyout. Yeah, I've heard a lot of people talk about this, and when it popped up, I just wanted to to brief... Well, I say briefly. Who knows what kind of discussion we might have. But I have seen people posting links to this saying, like, wow, the FTC's, like, gonna stop this merger or this buyout, I don't think so. This is just a this, temporary thing. This is so, a tapping of the brakes. Yeah. They're tapping the brakes. They say they want more time to review the full case, and you know, that's fair enough. Um, I'm happy to see them doing their due diligence. At least I hope it's their due diligence. Mm-hmm. But I expect this to put this merger off by you know, a few a, a couple months at best. I believe originally it was said to take place in July. It might say that in the article somewhere. Um, and this would be holding it up by... Uh, um, yeah, the original uh, 
merger deadline or uh, own deadline was uh, for Microsoft was the 18th of July. And uh, it's, I don't see an actual timetable on this, which, you know, is kind of, kind of expected when you uh, think about it. Yeah. Them uh, wanting to slow things up. So they're not going to give a definite date. Yeah. I have heard some stuff as well that because of the UK's commerce, whatever ruling Mm -hmm. that Microsoft is going to pull out of the UK, not selling their products, but remove offices from there so that they don't have to comply with the UK regulation. I mean, I've wondered how they're going to handle that. If that's the one stumbling block, because, Let's be perfectly honest here. The UK has kind of shot themselves in the foot with Brexit. Yep. So it's not like you know it would have been a couple years ago, where you pull out of the UK, and you're suddenly dealing with all of Europe. Yep. Now it's uh, yeah Brexit. Yep. I I had that same thought. Like you know, a few years ago, they I don't think they would have dared to do it just because of facing the entire. EU down over it, but now because now the of Brexit, and they're chuckling. Yeah, because honestly, uh, the UK can't be that big a portion of their market. Let alone, you know, if they're still selling and it's just they're pulling offices, right? Or you know, yeah, whatever handling is, is there. Yeah, I have no idea how big the UK market is um, for Microsoft. I mean, I, mean software... I, know, I, know, I know Europe is absolutely major for uh, FIFA, but that's not Microsoft, obviously. Yeah. Uh, Outside of Windows, I don't know how much of a presence Microsoft slash, you know, uh, Xbox has in the the UK or Europe in general. They are a, they're a big market. Like, I'm not going to pretend that they're not, but it's always felt like Xbox's biggest market has been the United States. Well, I search uh, UK market share, and it says uh, the, uh, Windows has a 63% market share in the UK. That's not why I'm asking Google. Don't maybe go to Bing. <laughs> so, how big are you in Europe? Ooh, that's interesting, if uh, that's true. According to this, uh, what's the date on this? Ooh, uh, pretty recent. Uh, uh, PlayStation's being the ever-living hell out of the Xbox. Uh, Europe, according to this, has an 80% market share compared to 20. So, I know, I know that's consoles. It's not exactly the same as, a, you know, game development, but... Yeah. Also, it would be a reason why Sony doesn't want this to happen, obviously. I mean, I really don't have a horse in this race thinking about it, because, right? Yeah, I mean, I don't either... The the only gaming console that I really play is an Xbox, but that's just because that's what I've had for so long. Mm-hmm. Like I've had my Xbox since 2013. When it dies eventually, I don't know if I'm gonna replace it. I mean, I have my Switch, which I play silly Squid games on, and uh, occasionally Tony Hawk. <laughs> yeah, and and other animal uh, unrelated games. I uh, I'm putting together a new media center slash gaming PC, you know, cobbling together a bunch of old parts that I've got mm-hmm. into one halfway decent PC to stick in there in my living room. And like, you know, 
that would be what would get used if somebody wanted to do something in the living room. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't have a smart TV. Otherwise, I might not even do that. I just, I, I just, you know, I, I game on it with my kids sometimes because it's there. But we also play a lot of PC games. Like, I just, yeah, I don't, I don't feel like I have a, a, a horse in this race, a dog in this fight. Mm-hmm. I mean, same. The closest I get is Xbox Game Pass. Yeah. Because most of my, con- or actually all my console gaming is on the weird, yeah, third party uh, in the console shares, because you're right. Yeah. And Nintendo's too busy doing their own thing and fucking over their community. Uh, speaking of which, uh, I didn't see Nintendo do something stupid this week. Must have been a slow news week. <laughs> it was. It was. So yeah, that's that's that. I don't, the FTC is not... Stopping the merger. I mean, there's always an outside possibility that they might. I don't. I don't think it's happening. I don't think that's happening. They're just. They need a little more time to sort through this because Microsoft has been pushing so hard. Mm-hmm. So, all right. Final news article of the night: EA Sports and EA Games splitting apart in internal shakeup. Yeah, essentially they're breaking into multiple developers, publishers, houses. Oh wait, that's Game of Thrones, never mind. <laughs> they're doing a Game of Thrones. <laughs> uh, so essentially they're saying that will empower their creative teams. Weird, I, I thought they just uh, you know, were a soulless corporation. I didn't realize they had creative teams still. Yeah. Amazing. Although a little scary about them talking about building the future of interactive entertainment by yeah. this restructure, because that makes me think they're going to like interactive movies. Watch ads for uh, ten times the runtime of the <laughs> the movie in order to be able to watch a movie. Uh, uh, unless you buy the battle pass. Right. No, no, no. Movie pass. They're going to uh, pick that, that idea back uh, up. <laughs> oh. Oh, Movie Pass! <laughs> I, I remember somebody trying to convince me to subscribe to Movie Pass. Yeah, or the theater thing uh, that, and, and it was like a month before it all imploded. Boy, yeah. was he pissed when uh, he was able to watch you know twenty movies a, a month for like the cost of one ticket. Yeah, great deal, but um, unsustainable in mm-hmm. our capitalistic hellscape so not long for this world i mean really uh unsustainable and really any uh, hellscape yeah but um speaking of unsustainable back to ea i have to i mean this move makes sense to me like we you know we don't really talk about it all that often because we're not sports people but it has come Mm -hmm. up in the past like sports games are ginormous they're their own sort of uh, silent ginormous yeah, because quote unquote the gamers TM don't, I, I think oftentimes don't recognize them as being legitimate, and they absolutely are just because we don't you know engage with them. But so it makes sense to me that EA could split this off and do run, I don't know, maybe more development teams or somehow this would be better for them, more efficient or make it cleaner. Give them a new tax havens. I don't. Yeah, I was know. about to say tax write-offs, but it it makes sense to me that they would do this. I mean, sports games have their kind of built-in, uh, yeah, self uh, 
uh, obsolescence as well because yeah, the yearly release cycle. Yep, it's like Call of Duty, even worse. You get your roster refreshes and everything. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, and a, maybe a marginal update. Uh, take away a few features, you know. Yep. Well, take away a few features that were included and make you pay extra for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course. Uh, that's on the Battle Pass. Uh, of course. I guess we're both kind of cynical when it comes to sports games, especially the big ones. I mean, because, I'm cynical about uh, pretty much all big games at this point. I think yeah. you are, too. Yeah, uh, look at the Starfield thing. It's like, oh, this seems really familiar and not in a good way. Yeah. So. I, um... It makes sense. I don't know if it's going to ultimately be a good thing or not. I'm sure that EA is going to use it for to to milk something from somebody, you know. It also makes me wonder how they're going to pull the shell games with their uh, you know, developers. Because, yeah, they still have a lot of companies under their umbrella. So are they just going to shuffle them around to the different uh, divisions that's like, you know, it or if we're going to see, you know, uh, more closing of, uh, you know, uh, household uh, old company names uh, to be just absorbed into the blob that is EA whatever division. Yeah. EA Sports. It's in the game. Oh, yeah, but you have to pay extra for that. Couldn't resist. I had to get one of those in there. I mean, I think they'll continue to maintain a reputation for buying developers milking them for a minute and then closing them down uh, buying developers essentially for their talent uh but not for the ip and then just setting on uh, for ages yeah i think they'll keep doing that i think they'll you know they'll find some new shuffles they'll find some new grinds like i don't think anything is going to change in their overall scope of practice i think they're going to keep the same bad habits and just now they're going to have two corporate entities for Tax reasons and to kind of separate things out on their their business ledgers. Just a guess, but you know, I feel like I'm I'm probably right. Mm-hmm. But still, it is EA, so kind of had to talk about it nonetheless, right? Yeah. So we're gonna do something we haven't done in a hot minute. We're gonna do a discovery queue. Woo! Um, the music. Yeah, we're gonna doobly do. For a discovery queue, but well, since that's been said, mm-hmm. did you did you have one pulled up? Yeah, Are you ready? Of, uh, speaking of yearly installments, F one twenty three. It's F one, but uh, one more. But the the next year. Although it does seem like they're uh, having a proper story mode, but this is chapter two of it, and they're not even selling F one twenty two anymore, at least on Steam. So. Yeah, uh, I guess, uh, let's play? Right? Yeah. Uh, assuming, of course, you know, you actually care about the story, because that's kind of... Right? Uh, outside of that, you know, it's simulation F1, if you care about F1. There you go. Uh, I think this is also on Game Pass to EA Play, or at least some sort of it. Or, if not this version, a previous one, I just can't get into it. So, Yeah. Never played the uh, the F one games. I don't think. I think I had it installed, but I just couldn't bring myself to do it because it's so simulation based that I didn't want to go into it because I only have a controller. Yeah, 
So I got Starship Troopers Extermination, which I've seen this floating around um, in, I guess, I don't know if it was betas or early, early access, because this is an early access game now. But I mean, it's a 16-player online co-op first-person shooter, whether you're playing the uh, Marines fighting the aliens in the Starship Trooper universe. It looks like a class-based shooter. Um, you know, different classes have different abilities for setting a base defense, turrets, etc., etc. It looks really cool, honestly. Like, I'm a pretty big fan of the Starship Troopers universe. Um, it's an interesting, fascinating look at what different uh, political ideologies do with this satire. And how essentially the far right fascist nationalists love it and, you know, think it's the best. Mm-hmm. And everyone else is like, God, that looks awful. Or don't so, realize, or don't just don't get the satire. Yeah. Because there's also that whole thing. Yeah. Hearing Born in the USA played as a patriotic song just does my head in. Yep. Because it is absolutely not. It is a, a commentary on a lot of negative things, negative aspects of the United States. But anyways, yeah, this looks good. I hope it's good. I've heard and seen good things about it. Um, I did not realize that it had released for purchase. Um, so I might be checking it out. Um, I'm going to look into, you know, how well it does matchmaking, how playable it is as a single player or very small co-op game and I, I might like in- look into it at some point in the relatively near future okay so I have Roots of Pacha, Pacha? Uh, Stardew Valley has unleashed like a renaissance of uh, the kind of cozy community based farming game or community based uh, social game where you know, you're building up a community, uh, interacting with it, and farming. And Roots of Petra is, is that, but it's the Stone Age, and you're uh, building up ideas of how to, like, domesticate crops and, you know, uh, be able to tame and befriend animals and contribute to the growth of your own village. I mean, it sounds intriguing if they you know, do it, you know, halfway decently, <laughs> because, right? Yeah. It does look like there is a fair amount of possible story content and also some like like guitar hero-esque things going on with festivals which is intriguing it is a little bit out of the uh, you know kind of impulse buy range at least what i would consider up at 25 bucks but uh released oh uh, actually uh, well i haven't done discovery queue in a while so it's like a couple months old now but 90 percent uh favorable rating so it must be doing something right yeah um i got street fighter 6 normally i probably wouldn't even put this up like i'm not a fighting game person i don't particularly um go for them anyways beyond something like smash brothers but i have heard very 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 positive things about street fighter 6 and them changing up their control system um, I forget what they call it. I've seen some stuff about it, but essentially they have, you can play with classic controls, which is the 
you know, combo Street oh, the, Fighter. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, uh, the, you know, the kind of the classic fighting game style. But they also have, I think it's called Modern Controls, mm-hmm. which plays a lot more like Smash Brothers. Um, it limits a few specific combo moves that you can't do. But it makes the game much more accessible because all you have to do is press, you know, down B, you know, the equivalent of mm-hmm. of the, you know, the Smash Brothers, like up, down, left, right, B stuff mm-hmm. to do certain combo moves. I think that's really cool. Contextual things based off of what's going on in the game. At yeah. least according to the Jim Quisition this week. I have did not. That they did. T- uh, uh, they went pretty in depth on uh, Street Fighter Six this week. I've not yet yeah, watched this week's talking gym about position. how it's the first time that they've actually been able to play a fighting game and enough to actually be able to review it. Yeah. So, I mean, that's kind of impressive with just how accessible it is. Yeah. And how, you know, uh, the uh, hardcore fighting game uh, people are rather upset about, but eh, fuck them. Fuck them. I think the big issue... Are a big, uh, that's maybe the wrong way to say it. I think one of the reasons why they feel that way is that there, I do think it takes a certain amount of skill to be able to learn and use those combos. And that has always made those people feel good. But whenever you level the playing field on that and make it a game more about having good strategy and good sort of tactics, um, in in the fight itself and not relying on the muscle memory to be able to execute those combos i think those people are not as good as they thought they were yeah and that's kind of the thing and that makes them feel you know bad or left out or something and so they're they're trying to gatekeep it and like you said fuck them yeah so uh i got yet another farming game uh fields of mystery this one isn't coming out till next year so I guess it might be on Textfest or something, or or something's going on that's popped up this early, or it's just yeah. Uh, hey, you, you've I've been playing Stardew Valley. Here, have some more, right? Yeah. Uh, so essentially, I mean, if this one feels a lot closer to Stardew Valley than the other one did, but with more like an anime uh, uh, skin over it, or I should say aesthetic. Uh, the kind of teaser has some interesting things going on with it, with more of a anime cutscene. Uh, but yeah, I mean, this feels very Stardew Valley, or I should say, it feels more like the old Harvest Moon, because this feels more focused around the farm instead of just, you know, do whatever. So, yeah. We'll see if I get a third one, right? Yeah. So I got Sons of the Forest. Uh, Sons of the Forest is a survival crafting game where they, uh, you're dropped onto like a cannibal island and you're trying to find um, a lost billionaire, which, fuck him. But maybe that's uh, the point. Uh, he's in the bottom of the ocean uh, trying to uh, figure out how to charge his controller. Right. But um, I've heard very good things about this game because even when you're playing in single player only you still have an AI buddy that's with you at all times that you can give, you know, commands um, and sort of order states to, and they really help you, and the game is built around having... Because a lot of these survival crafting games are co-op, and they don't work very well if you don't have other people. 
And so this is, I think, designed to allow you to be able to experience that even if you're not playing with friends. And I've, I've heard good things about it. It's also got like a supposed to have a really excellent like terrain and voxel deformation system. And um, I, I've just I've heard really good things about this game since it's released. So happy to see it pop up on my list. It's out of you know I, I I'd still wait for it to be on sale personally before I bought it, but I'm strongly considering purchasing this game. So I got Tom Clancy's Rainbow Six Extraction. And, oh boy, this has some uh, mixed reviews. It's a PvE uh, co-op uh, focused game. So, yeah, that's kind of uh, like two big negatives uh, against it immediately for me. Because, yeah. right? Uh, I mean, I'll do play with you on co-op, but yeah, we're yeah, doing a full-on co-op uh, only game is a bit of a hard sell for me these days. Yeah. And I can't decide if this is like Escape from Tarkov, if it's a, a, a like a Left 4 Dead thing going on or what. Or if it's like its own thing going on. It it doesn't really tell me what's going on with this. And that's not good marketing. Uh, uh, the squad faces an ever-evolving alien threat. Teamwork, tactics, and flawless execution are the key to your survival. That and microtransactions. I was... God damn it, you beat me to it. I was gonna say, and microtransactions. So, so it does say that there's a solo play as well, and full-on cross-platform uh, play, because, right? But yeah. I, I'm just very lukewarm with Ubisoft to begin with, and when people are talking about how repetitive and crashy the game is, it... Oof, right? Yeah. And it doesn't help that the game just doesn't tell you what, what's going on. Uh, there's plenty of uh, analogs to uh, get there, and it's just not there at all. So, yeah. Uh, I would say that's probably a miss, but... Mm. Yeah. So, uh, Returnal. Returnal was a PlayStation game that released, I want to say, two years ago. Um, I can hit has... enter so I can hit the... Uh, Click on the link. Uh, it's showing up like it's got a link uh, on my screen. Uh, yeah, well, now it is. Okay. Um, but Returnal, I believe, launched on PlayStation two years ago. I have been three years ago. It's a third-person action shooter roguelite um, that, uh, you know, tried to do some different things with the formula. Um, was... Uh, using doing kind of like what i mean there have been several roguelikes who have done this um whether it's like the reset process is a part of the game and you're trying to understand what's going on as you reset and move forward and grow in strength and you know kind of push outward from the starting area um i remember on when it launched though there was no way to save mid-run and quit so there would be people who would be living their playstations on constantly because, you know, they couldn't sit and play through a particularly long run. Like, you know, like either you, you had to die or, or quit and go back. I It's got massively positive reviews. I assume that that's fixed. But I would love if it wasn't. That would be hilarious. I'm never going to play this game. But I recognized it and just, you know, had that factoid pop into my brain. I just wanted to mention it. So, Returnal. 
maybe you like that sort of thing, in which case you might like this game, but it's not for me. Uh, well, going from inspired from one game to inspired possibly from another. Walls of Torment. This looks very much like Vampire Survivors beats like Diablo 2. Uh, at least to me, where... Uh, <laughs> it's fighting waves and waves of uh, stuff, accomplish quests, and build your character. It's early access. Five bucks. Mm. Yeah. I mean, am I the only one that's seen Vampire Survivors in this? Let me pull that up. I haven't... I'm, I'm looking at... Uh, I, I was going past a couple of porn games that, well, I would play them, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I can see Vampire Survivors. I mean, I don't have any problem with people aping on it. It does look like they do a little bit more uh, with it than uh, uh, Vampire Survivors did, or at least, yeah, the bubble version. But, right? Yeah. So I got the Resident Evil 4 remake, or remaster, or whatever it is. Um, I put RE4 remake. But it's the the recent, you know, continuing um, Capcom's redoing their old Resident Evil games. We've now moved on to Resident Evil 4. I am, I, I, I played the original Resident Evil 4. It was not the first Resident Evil game that I played. Um... I remember liking it well enough. I I cannot play this. There's no way I can play this. So many of my teenage clients have fucking memed Leon Kennedy to death from this game. I don't know why. I don't know what he does that's particularly meme-worthy, but they have memed him to death. And I, like, I saw this game, and I'm like, oh, fucking memeing of Leon Kennedy. Let's, that's cool. But that's my own personal baggage. <laughs> I've heard from other, you know, people and places and outlets that it's very well done. It's a very good game. Um, you know, adds some, th- just like all these other remasters or remakes they're doing, it adds, it's more or less the original game with upgraded graphics and then some stuff added to it that makes the experience better. So if you've liked the previous Resident Evil remakes, you'll probably like this one. I have really no idea what's going on with this, but what the hell. Uh, it's called It's Only Money, and I'm not sure if it's like an old school like GTA knockoff or what the hell's going on. Because like watching the trailer, there's like some GTA stuff going on. Then it shifts to mini games and it talks about running businesses uh, with co-op going on. It's just it feels very like Fever Dreamish. Oh, interesting. <laughs> that does look odd. It looks like this is their only game as well, so it's early access. Not too expensive, but it has almost the absurdity of like Saints Row was, you know? Before yeah. they, you know, uh, essentially gentrified that. Uh, there's various PvP micro games. Prop Hunt. Oh, hey, how about that? Prop Hunt is. Uh, things have gone full circle. Prop Hunt is back, right? Yay. <laughs> I like uh, I, it's like it's mostly like a sandbox game at least for now like go around do shit be wacky yeah. dresses a, a half a hot dog it feels very much like uh yo i feel very ancient not getting this yeah but, very yeah. uh cringe memes mm-hmm. so i got amnesia the bunker 
I have heard some stuff about this game as well, just releasing a couple of weeks ago. Um, it is the next Amnesia game. Um, it's set in World War One. You are trapped in an underground bunker with some kind of monster. Um, you're the last surviving human being in the bunker. You have to slowly push out to get to the comms room in order to radio Recharge for help. Controller. Yes, in order to recharge a controller. Then in order to radio for help. And it's got puzzles. Um, there's a mechanic where you have to keep this generator running in order to keep the lights on, which keeps the monster at bay. You have a gun with one bullet. Um, and you, you can get more in the game. But you know, you start with a gun with one bullet. I think the implication is like you're supposed to shoot yourself. But instead, you use it to you know further your expansion. But... Again, another game that I've heard some good stuff about um, that I'm probably never going to play. But I like the idea. I like that the Amnesia games are kind of more of an anthology than a series. Mm -hmm. You know, because each game is different. Um, I like that. So, just calling that out. Well, I still haven't done my third uh, farming game. How about uh, a a theme park game? Park Beyond. Uh, Released... this last week and boy is it taking a beating in the reviews mostly because it released uh, half-baked and buggy you know as is the style of the time and it's kind of sad because it actually looks pretty decent if they could iron out all the you know, performance issues the graphical issues the bugs but all right yeah i mean there's quite a few park games as well i guess uh uh, what uh, plant coaster kind of kicked that one off, or what? Yeah, I think so. Re kicked it off, or kicked off mm-hmm. a a renaissance, or although uh, they much, tend but... to focus more on yeah building uh, like a sandbox park instead of uh, park management. I think that's why uh, I like Parkitect a bit better. Is that yeah, there was more management going on than anything else. Yeah, but yeah. I guess keep an eye on it if you're looking for another one uh, to play, but it's kind of a hard sell because you're looking at $50 plus an annual pass for content, which is oof. Yeah. Right? When the indie games are $50, or, or uh, well, I shouldn't say indie games because it's Bandcamp Game Co., but when the AA games, how about that, are $50. Things have gone ba- uh, downhill, right? Yeah, for sure. It looks like it's oh, it's actually the developer of the uh, well of the later Tropico games. I haven't played Tropico in uh, like three or four iterations from the looks of it. I didn't even realize Tropico Six was out. I think Tropico Three was the last one I played. Tropico Three, I think, was the last one I played as well. They have Tropico Six that that came out a few years ago and. Oh, so much DLC on that. <laughs> yeah. Tropical 3 was bad about it as well. So my mm-hmm. queue is done. My last one was Halls of Torment, which you already had. Hey, I got one I can't talk about yet. I got Cassette Beasts. Yay. I still need to play more of it. That's going to be my project for the week. Me too. Uh, Let's see. My last one. I actually didn't get any porn games. It's weird. I got, uh, you know, games that look terrible or games that were expansions of MMOs that I haven't played, so I can't really comment on them. Uh, 
Voidigo? Voidigo? Uh, a vividly animated action roguelite focused on box, uh, boss hunting. So, uh, kind of like Monster Hunter meets, like, uh, Guacabele. Okay. From Interesting the, combination. Uh, from the looks of it. Yeah, uh, it looks like it's focused on, like, yeah, yeah, hunting down, uh, uh, monsters to kill. Although it's not as grandiose as Monster Hunter. But it also has, uh, I think Guacamelee actually a bit, may have been a really, uh, uh apropos one, uh, just looking at the animation. Although they do have some boss hunting, uh, so there is a little bit of Monster Hunter in the DNA. Yeah. So, uh, what a weird looking game. <laughs> uh, delightfully weird, I should say. Not, yo. Know, uh, some of the ones I got was like, yo, know, this weird, like, fever dream of walking into the sky on this, like, twisted husk of a world that looked like it was like, about, you know, maybe an hour long. Not gonna cut it on Steam these days, right? Yeah. So, yeah, that is the end of my queue. Cool beans. Well, uh, where can people... We, we didn't do this before, because it's been a while. Where can people find us if they want to, to send us things or otherwise participate? Well, I'll take uh, small ca- uh, cash gifts. Uh, you you gotta got keep them tasteful. Of course. You can uh, send me the trashy stuff. Yeah, like that ring. Yeah. Uh, I know. Right, bringing it back, right? Uh, you could uh, contact us vjobpodcast at gmail.com you could tweet us vjobpodcast or you could drop by the discord which you can find a link to that at the top of the page over at vjobpodcast.podbean.com sweet uh, and hey Rage why don't you uh, hit them with them socials of yours oh I've been caffeine Rage I don't have much in the way of socials these days uh, I haven't tweeted in a while you can still check me out over at GameOCR if you wish uh, or contact me over there, or if you wish to be my friend on Steam, you could contact me on Steam. I'm Caffeine Rates there. Probably have a better luck getting a hold of me on uh, Switch as well, but I don't have my friend code because uh, Nintendo does weird shit. Yeah. Nintendo does weird shit in both a good and a bad way. And you've been... They, they do Nintendo shit. And I've been Jared. Come me on Twitter at JMA4707. I tweet about mostly random stuff. Battletech. Uh, buff girl Twitter, um, replying to random posts that VTubers post about stuff, you know, just kind of whatever. Um, you can also find me sometimes about every other week or so, twitch.tv slash runicarts, where I host a tabletop, a vampire the masquerade tabletop RPG that, uh, my friend Ian streams over there. And then, of course, you can talk to me on the Discord, be my friend on Steam, jarthur4707. Um, you can send up smoke signals, I guess. Um, you know, you can send me a letter in the mail, find my address. You send it to Outback Steakhouse in, in <laughs> Cleveland. Tell them to send it to me. That actually goes along with the with the Franken content. Oh, well, whatever. It doesn't fucking matter. You can be confused about that for, you know, it'll be fine. Yeah, don't worry. You'll, you'll figure it out eventually. I just remember, uh, tip, uh, tip your waitress, but not too far because she may fall over otherwise. Of course. Respectfully tip your waitress. Uh, as we scroll back up to the top, 
once again, you can talk, contact us via podcast at gmail.com with your letters, voicemails, game-related topics. Tweet them to us via podcast. I do still check it, even though I don't really tweet that much anymore. Or if you were to send it to the subscri- uh, to the submission feed over on the Discord, you can find a link to that over at vjobpodcast.podbean.com. And if you used to share the love, you can find us on your podcatcher of choice. Our lovely, lovely patrons have made this madness possible. You can find out more about that over at VGL Podcast. Uh, oh, sorry, patreon.com slash VGL Podcast. Our intro and outro music and our discovery key music is On the Ground and Doobly-Doo, both by uh, Kevin McLeod. You can find his work over at incompetech.com and... As always, as this lovely music starts to roll across my voice. Bye bye now. See ya. Bye bye.